Decisions. Decisions. We face every day a series of decisions and choices that impact not only who we are, but who we become. Every day we face choices. Every day we face decisions, whether it's how we spend our time, whether it's how we engage in relationships, whether it's how we invest our energy, or whether how we spend our money. Every decision that we make shapes not only our current situation, but who we are becoming. And so it behooves us to consider what drives and shapes our decisions. So we think about all the different types of decisions that we face. We have to make lots of decisions. And in our world, which we're overrun by information overload and social media and all these other aspects, we can feel overloaded by all kinds of information which get in the way of decisions. As I think about decisions, I think about a gross, going to a grocery store. And for me, that brings about all kinds of decisions. Even if I go with a list, even if I go fully prepared, something about going to a grocery store, walking down the aisle, all of a sudden confronted with decision after decision after decision, store brand versus name brand. Different kinds, I mean, 1,572,226 types of chips. <laughs> that number is accurate, no, it's not. But, Believe any statistic. Right, the data is there. No, but if you think about all the different types of ingredients, decision after decision after decision. I remember the first time years ago I went into a Wegmans. It blew my mind. Right, the size and scope of that grocery store. I felt like I was in the Disney world of groceries. And there was a train going around the top. No, but it was incredible. It just blew my mind. And if you add hunger on top of it, you go to a grocery store when you're hungry, or hangry, by the way. One of those two is going to get ugly really fast in terms of the decisions you make. Now, if that's true for grocery shopping, how much more to life? We face decision after decision after decision. And yes, with social media, yes, with information overload and all kinds of data points coming at us. Even more so now with this pandemic, we are experiencing decision fatigue. Am I the only one who's experiencing decision fatigue? And we thought maybe it would get easier. It continues to go on and on and on. And so in our day and age, we have to consider how do we make decisions? Because decision fatigue is real. What are some symptoms of decision fatigue? As you think about decision after decision after decision, especially in light of this pandemic and all the different changes, all the different shifts that are needed. One symptom of decision fatigue is, is feeling paralyzed and saying like, I don't even know where to begin with all the different variables, all the different things I need to consider. Another symptom of decision fatigue is, is impulsive decisions. Where if you get to a point where you're like, there's just too much to consider, I'm just gonna go with this. Another symptom of decision fatigue comes in the form of just wanting to give up or go with the status quo and go with the crowd and say, whatever the crowd's doing, I'll do it. But the problem is, in our current state, in our current day and age, there are many different crowds going in different directions. So that in itself causes more decision fatigue. Am I making you tired yet? I know I'm getting tired just thinking about it. <laughs> decision fatigue is real. So here we are in 2022, moving into a new year. 2021 finished into 2022. As we think about this year, every single decision that you make will shape who you are. For a moment, consider this date, December 31st, 2022. It's going to come fast. Between now and December 31st, 2022, you will make a series of decisions of which will shape you as a person. And so as followers of Christ, 
or just as a human being, any person needs to consider what kinds of decisions are we making? What drives and shapes our decisions? And how can we make wise decisions? And that's the title of our new sermon series as we move into 2022, Making Wise Decisions. And in this series, the goal, my goal is to help equip you with an approach and framework for making wise decisions based on what is revealed in Scripture. And we're going to do that by encountering a series of topics. In the weeks ahead, we'll consider how we spend our time, how we dedicate our expertise and energy, and how we invest and spend our money. But today we're going to focus on the decision-making process. What's the difference between a wise decision and a foolish decision? And what does Scripture have to say? Because then we're going to apply how we make wise decisions to those categories in the upcoming weeks. So how do we make wise decisions? The decision-making process can be defined as the process of making choices by identifying a decision, gathering information, and assessing alternate resolutions. A seven-step process could look something like this. Identify a decision, like what needs to be decided. Second, gather relevant information. Consider different sources. Then from there, identify the alternatives, and from those alternatives, weigh the evidence, choose among the alternatives, and then take action, make the decision. And once the decision's made, then you can assess and review your decision and its consequences. As you look at this decision-making process, again, I ask you, how do you make decisions? What drives and shapes your decisions? And if we slow down to consider, what does Scripture have to say? What does God have to say? What could change? What could really change in our lives as we face a series of decisions, both throughout the course of a day, throughout the course of a week, throughout the course of a month, throughout the course of a year, and then extend that out three, five, ten, even more years? Because our decisions shape who we are. The phrase, you are what you eat, can be easily adjusted to our, you are what you decide. And what we decide shapes who we are. So let's dive right in. Where are we going to look for help? We're going to look to God and his word. And today we're going to start by considering a passage in the New Testament letter of Ephesians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to, to Christians in the region of the ancient city of Ephesus. Ephesus, which was the center of all kinds of religious focus of that day and age. And here in Ephesus, Paul writes this letter, the first half of the letter, which speaks of the meaning and significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In many ways, the first half of the book of Ephesians and the letter of Ephesians speaks to the big God story. The second half of the letter speaks to how we are to respond to that work of Christ. In many ways, it's a picture of our story in light of God's big story. And in the second half, God calls his people to action based on their identity in Christ. So we're going to begin by looking at a passage which speaks to our identity in Christ and then a call to action. A call to action in terms of decision making and what it means to make wise decisions. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 uh, verses 1 and 2 to start. Then we'll jump down to a couple of other verses. Verses 1 and 5 we read this. Follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here, Paul is calling his people to action. He says, follow God's example. Be imitators of God. Imitate him. Be like him. How? Then as dearly loved children. What an incredible truth. 
was reminding these Ephesian Christians, and by extension, we're reminded today as followers of Christ that we are dearly loved children. Not even just children of God, but dearly loved children of God. We are cherished in his sight. And therefore, as his children, we are to follow God's example. We are to reproduce the family likeness in our lives. How do we do this? We walk in the way of love. The way of love here described, and as a reminder from a couple weeks ago when we talked about the love of Christ, true love requires sacrifice. Here we see Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're to walk in the way of love in our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. We're to follow God's examples as his dearly loved children. So what does this have to do with making wise decisions? Well, there's blocks of teaching following these two verses. We're going to go to the second block, skipping down to verse 8. And here we get a picture of what it means to make wise decisions based on who we are as followers of Christ. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 17, and then I'm going to take us through this passage in blocks of verses. Starting in verse 8, we read this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. This is God's word. As we go back to verses 8 through 10, let's look at these initial verses. Paul begins by reminding them and sharing with them that you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Here's one of many examples and contrasts that Paul uses. He says, you were once this, but now you're something else. You were once darkness, he says, but now you're light. Before you were a follower of Christ, before you were a child of God, before you received this new life in Christ, you were darkness. Notice how he doesn't say you were walking in darkness or in the realm of darkness, meaning a location, he says you were darkness. That's not really sensitive language. That's not going to make a lot of people happy these days. Don't go around walking and, talk and telling people you are darkness. That's not, not going to make you a lot of friends. But Paul, who's the master physician in the way of Jesus, and a master physician always gives an honest diagnosis, reminds them before Jesus, you were darkness. He says, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. Now darkness, right? New Testament readers and listeners would have understood darkness, yes, as, being, as meaning and speaking of error and evil, but also, especially in those days, especially with, with philosophy and all that was happening, darkness also spoke of ignorance. Ignorance not of philosophy here, not of ignorance of intellectual thought, but ignorance of God and his ways. So before Christ, before coming to know God, before becoming a child of God, before becoming a part of his family, Paul reminds them that they were darkness, ignorant of God's ways, walking only by what they could see and know. 
based on their experiences, limited by their five senses and their experiences, not considering the ways of God. They were darkness. He says, but now, remember, now you are light in the Lord, meaning you've been illuminated. There's been revelation. There's a sense of knowing, not just intellectually, not knowing a bunch of facts that you can memorize to pass the test, but there's a deeper understanding of God and his ways. You are now light in the Lord. And the fruit of this light is all goodness and righteousness and truth. And because of that, Paul then says in verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out. You can figure this out. You're in a relationship with God. You're part of the family. Ask Abba Daddy, what pleases you? As you walk in the light, as you are light in the Lord, you have this revelation. You have this understanding. Find out what pleases the Lord. Well, he continues in verse 11 through 13 and and then this, he then says, he says, no doubt, have nothing, nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Here he's calling them to, to let go of the past. He's like, these, these deeds of darkness are fruitless. They don't lead to anything good. Have nothing to do with them at all. And he speaks to them what it means for them to be in the light. But he quickly moves on to a wake-up call which many Bible commentaries believe is a, from an original hymn in, vor, in verse 14 or perhaps a, a, a connection and grouping of Old Testament verses. In verse 14, he says, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He says, Wake up. Wake up. For those who are apart from Christ, he's saying, You're dead. You're darkness. Wake up. There's an opportunity to come to life. For those who are in Christ, who are part of the family, he's, he knows too well that we can fall into complacency. We can lose track of God. We can lose track of his ways. He says, wake up. If you've fallen asleep, wake up. If you start to live life and try to make work, life work on your own, based on your own effort, your own ways, your own understandings, wake up. Wake up, sleeper. Well, what's the nature of this wake-up call? Then he gives wisdom about how to make wise decisions. Verse 15, he says, do not, let me go down. Verse, he says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. All right, verse 15, be very careful. Be very careful. Pay special attention. Whenever you read these words in scripture, especially in the New Testament, it's, it's a calling to, again, to wake up and to take special attention, recognizing it's like walking on a balance beam. If you don't take your complete focus, you're going to fall off. Be very careful. It's like me trying to leave the bedroom and Laurie's still asleep. Be very careful. Of course, the more I try to be careful, I end up kicking the side of the, the dresser, but I digress. Be very careful. Be very careful how you live, Paul says. Not as unwise, but as wise. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Notice how he doesn't, again, hold back any any words. He's just saying, the world is not a neutral play, playground. It's not neutral. The days are evil. And evil will pull you away from God. Evil will always try and take you off the path. He says, wake up, be very careful, stay on the course. And then in verse 17, he says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Get as children of light, who are not, no longer darkness, but have the revelation of God, this connection to God, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will is. Again, this understanding, this knowing in the Bible is not just, again, intellectual knowledge, not, again, not just memorizing facts so you can pass a test. This is a deep 
deep soul level understanding based on a relationship with God and experience and you could understand what the Lord's will is as you look to him. So what's the difference between a fool and a wise person? He says, do not be foolish here. Well, what's a fool? Well, biblical understanding of fool, and for those who heard this letter in Ephesus, when they heard it, they would have understood that a fool wasn't so much someone who's intellectually ignorant, but a fool based on the wisdom writings in the Old Testament was someone who tried to live or lived without God in the picture, without God in the equation. In Psalm 14.1, we read, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So a fool, by definition of the Bible, someone who says, I'm going to live life on my own. I don't need God. God doesn't exist. I can make life work on my own. The Apostle Paul said, do not be foolish. Don't try to live life without God in the picture. Don't try to live life without God in the equation. Don't try to live life without God on the throne. Don't put yourself on the throne. God's on the throne. Don't be a fool. Be wise. So what's a wise person? A wise person by definition of the Bible is someone who lives as though God exists and takes into account his ways. Who considers God based on who he is and what are his ways and lives life accordingly. Based on the revelation ultimately of what's in scripture. When the apostle Paul said, find out what pleases the Lord. And he says, seek to understand what the Lord's will is. It's found in these pages of the Bible. God's wisdom is here. His will is revealed. And we could find out what it is as we make ourselves available to his teachings. So this brings us back to our decision-making process. And what does this mean for us today? As you go back to that seven steps, we add a step. Yes, we face decisions every day. They're going to come at us. But the new step is step two. Seek out what pleases God and his will. And then move through those steps. Gather relevant information based on who God is, what pleases him, and what's his will. Identify the alternatives based on who God is, what pleases him, and what's his will. Right? Weigh the evidence, yes, based on who God is, what pleases him, and what's his will. We're going to keep going. Choose among alternatives based on who God is, what pleases him, and what's his will. And then take action based on who God is, what pleases him, and what's his will. And then review and, and see the consequences based on who God is, what pleases him, and what's his will. We see other snapshots of this decision-making process and in other parts of the New Testament, another letter that Paul wrote to the to Christians in the region of Galatia. Towards the end, he says this in chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest we do not give up. Here Paul tells these Christians, don't be deceived. It's easy to be deceived. It's easy to be deceived to think we can make life work on our own. We just have enough research, enough money, enough time. We can make life work. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. He can't be mocked. He says, but we reap what we sow. The law of the harvest is real. And you can't get around this law. You reap what you sow. If you sow to please your flesh, the parts of you that says no to God, you're going to reap destruction. But he says, if you sow to please the Spirit, again, going back to his words in Ephesians, if you know what pleases the Lord, if you understand his will, if you, if you sow to please the Spirit, you will reap eternal life, life to the ages which begins now and goes on forever. And so he encourages them to not give up in doing good. Over all this 
This comes back to Jesus. Jesus who made the ultimate wise decision. Right back in Ephesians 5, too, we remember we read that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That was a decision that the Son of God made for you and for me. And it was the ultimate wise decision based on who God is and his ways. He surrendered his will to the Father. and He died and he succumbed to death, even death on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He made the ultimate wise decision for you and for me. And he lived this out because he has lived it out to the ultimate. His life in you and in me reproduced. We can do the same. We can do the same. And this same Jesus gave these well-known words at the end of what's come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24 through 29. And he says this as a reminder between the foolish and the wise. One last teaching from Jesus. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had at its foundation the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There are two ways. What, you want to make wise decisions. Jesus said, hear my words and put them into practice. Right? Don't hear my words, go to a class, memorize them, and feel good about your intellectual prowess. No, put them into practice. The Christian faith is one of action. Know it and do it, and you'll build on a solid foundation. But if you hear his words and don't put them into practice, or even get to a place that's saying, I don't need to hear those words. I don't need to hear those words of Jesus. I can figure out life on my own. Your life is destined to crash. If you want to make wise decisions, hear the words of God and put them into practice. So what about physician fatigue? As we come back to thinking about wise decisions, know this, that God invites you to make wise decisions with his help. And as you make wise decisions with his help, first and foremost, know that he'll be with you in those decisions. If you live as children of light, knowing that you are in a relationship with God, you are dearly loved as a child of God. And you seek his wisdom. He will be with you. He will strengthen you and he will give you courage even when you're not sure how it's going to turn out. You can know this promise to be true that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll walk with you and he'll give you wisdom in those decisions. So what's one thing to remember, one thing to do and a couple questions to remember. One thing to remember is this. God provides what we need to make wise decisions and we live as children of light as we ask God for wisdom and apply his instruction to our decisions. That's one thing to remember. Now, one thing to do, I invite you to this action step. Assess how you make decisions this week. Take this week. Assess how you make decisions and seek to increase the percentage of times that you turn to God for wisdom in that process. I invite you even further to, to team up with another person for this month in this sermon series, both this week and then the weeks ahead. Team up, find one other person to engage in this action step and talk about it. Maybe it's two or three others. Get in a text group. Maybe it's your small group or class. Team up with someone to go through these steps. And as you do, you could share about what you've learned. Here, the step is assess how you make decisions this week. So before you even move to this week, consider this past week. I invite you to take out a piece of paper, write down a set of decisions, play the movie of this last week. What decisions did you make? And then next to it, consider on a scale of one to 10, where was God? 
Was he a part of the process? Was he part of the equation? Did you ask God for wisdom or did you just plow ahead? One being, wow, God? Who's God? Ten, Lord, I surrender. I'll be like, Audrey, I'll get down on my face, right? Like, and get down on the ground. Lord, I am prostrate before you. Take it, right? That's a ten. Assess your decisions looking back and let that inform your upcoming week. And see what happens this week. If you could seek to increase the percentage of times where you have to make a decision, am I gonna buy this or not? Am I gonna spend my time? Am I gonna call this person? Am I gonna seek forgiveness? Whatever that is, seek God. Increase the percentage of times that you seek God in your decision making and see what happens. Ask God, what is the wise thing to do? Ask God, what is pleasing to you? Ask God, what's the loving thing to do? And see how that shapes not only your decisions, but shapes you as a person this week as a follower of Christ who's called to live in the light. Some questions for reflection to help you go about this. Number one, what is a wise decision that you're grateful you made and why? On the flip side, what is a foolish decision that you regret you made and why? Think about that over the course of your life. Two, to what extent is God part of your decision-making process? And overall, maybe even assess on a scale of one to 10. Number three, what could change in your life if you invited God into your decision-making process and learned to make wise decisions based on who he is and based on his instructions, consider what could change if you, every decision, again, it's a, it's a new set of muscles for us, or maybe using them again, saying, God, what's the wise thing to do? What pleases you? What's the loving thing to do? Imagine if we pro- adopted this approach. Imagine what this week could look like. Imagine what this month could look like. Imagine what this year could look like. December 31st, 2022, that we could look back and say, wow, God, even if it's just a 1% increase, I increased the percent of wise decisions I made. And look where I am now, closer to you, closer to others, because of wise decisions. Let me finish with, again, going back to Ephesians 5, 15 and 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And let us, I invite you to come back the next three weeks. Join us online. Join us in person as we consider how we, how we what our wise decisions are around our schedules, around how we dedicate our expertise and energy, and how we spend our money. Those next three weeks, we'll look at those specific topics as we seek to make wise decisions. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for Jesus who made the ultimate wise decision and gave away his life on the cross for us so we could be children of God, not left on our own in this world that is not kind. This world is a struggle and we need help. We need your wisdom, we need your courage, we need strength. So God, I pray that you give each of us fresh eyes to see our decisions. Help us to begin making wise decisions based on what we've heard today, based on what you've revealed in your word. God, as we do, that you would continue to reshape us and restore us to be more like Jesus, to be more loving, to be more of a people who do what pleases you, and God, that we would see a difference in our lives when we realize we don't have to rely on ourselves only, but God, we could rely on you. Shape us to be that. We give ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.